You're listening to the FMC podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to the FMC podcast. I'm Matt Spazali and I'm Jonathan Keel and we're glad you've joined us again. Uh, this is our second episode and I just want to briefly address some issues uh, that I've heard about the first episode. Um, one, there's been a lot of chatter on the blogospheres and on the internet and lots, you know, a lot of different opinions. It's really sparked a huge debate in uh, in several households, I, I believe. Um, and... Uh, that may that may or may not be true, um, but we uh, we really feel like here in the second episode that we've got we've gotten over the bumps and the hurdles from the first one, and we now we really know what we're doing. Um, and I've heard it uh, suggested that this is where we're going to really hit our stride. And um, to quote uh, one. One news outlet, the the New York Times, um, read something that they gave to us. Um, Please stop contacting us regarding this podcast. We will not listen to it now, thanks to your repeated and incessant emails. Um, so we we're getting we're getting noticed, um, and I think that's a. I'd like to thank first of all Kevin Granger who's been helping with our production and um and the the great work that my friend Jonathan Keel's been doing so um with that nonsense out of the way uh we're going to we're going to start here uh again uh in prayer yeah and i wanted to brought today a, a pr- beautiful prayer written by Dr. Martin Luther King. So let's go ahead and begin in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O thou eternal God, out of whose absolute power and infinite intelligence the whole universe has come into being, we humbly confess that we have not loved thee with our whole hearts, souls, and minds, and we have not loved our neighbors as Christ loved us. We have all too often lived by our own selfish impulses rather than by the life of sacrificial love as revealed by Christ. We often give in order to receive. We love our friends and hate our enemies. We go the first mile but dare not travel the second. We forgive but dare not forget. And so as we look within ourselves, we are confronted with the appalling fact that the history of our lives is the history of an eternal revolt against you. But thou, O God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for what we could have been but failed to be. Give us the intelligence to know your will. Give us the courage to do your will. Give us the devotion to love thy will. In the name and spirit of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's that's a wonderful prayer. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so we're gonna start. Uh, this is we're starting this podcast um, 
entitled Who is My Neighbor? And um, to kind of start us off on that subject, we're going to um, read another uh, document or discuss another document. We'll give you some intro information on it. Uh, a document, really a, an address by Pope Francis uh, to a group of people um, just in February of this year. Uh, and so um, maybe, Jonathan, you could give us a little more uh, info on what we're looking sure, at. Sure, thank you. Um, you know, I wanted to just start, some of you might be asking, you know, what, why are we focusing on these addresses um, or on these homilies or various messages from um, Pope Francis? And part of it is uh, simply that he's the chief shepherd of our church. And so um, for us in Family Missions Company, uh, we look to uh, Pope Francis because of his office. Uh, we look to him at, for guidance. At, we believe that our Lord Jesus Christ um, chose St. Peter and that through the succession of the apostles, he, uh, Jesus handed down a special gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we we are actually delighted by this uh, and blessed. I'm a convert, and this is one of the things that brought me to the church. And so for me, it's just really important uh, following the Pope um, and listening to what he has to say uh, with with care. And I find that oftentimes I, I struggle with um, the number of Catholics that don't go and read from the sources, but instead just read from... Um, a, a popular website they're attached to and I find that oftentimes um, many of these websites don't give the whole story and so what we wanted to do was kind of encourage you to read some of these documents and also give you a little bit of reflection during this Lenten season um, on some of the, the themes that Pope Francis is highlighting and so this is a let me, let me uh, just yeah. jump in there I think um, Pope Francis gives us an a wonderful opportunity to go to the source um, because he's his manner of speaking and his manner of writing is very accessible yeah. so if you're worried yeah. that like well I don't have a theology degree so how can I read what the Pope writes this Pope particularly um, doesn't write like the theologians that Benedict and um, John Paul II were not to say that their writing writing is inaccessible. Um, it, you should check that out too, because you'd be surprised at how much of it, um, just being a Catholic, how much of it uh, you'd understand. But um, Pope Francis has a his own particular style, and it's one that lends itself very easily to all of the flock listening to what he says. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that, uh, Matt, just and to really everyone out there, that you know the Pope's number one calling is not to be a theologian, but to be a pastor, to be the chief shepherd of Jesus' flock. And, and that's something that I think Pope Francis understands uh, and would agree with uh, down in his heart. And so the occasion of this message is the world meeting of popular movements. Uh, this occurred in Modesto, California, this last year. Um, what are the world? What are the popular movements? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought when I first read this title. Um, 
And so I went and looked it up, and you know, this was a this was the third world meeting of popular movements. The very first one happened in 2014, October actually, uh, 27 or 29 of 2014, and it was the first time that a pope invited leaders of social movements to come to it for a meeting. Um, and it was co-organized by Cardinal Turkston, who's, who was the president of the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace, uh, which actually doesn't exist anymore. Um, he is now the prefect of the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, which um, is now kind of a bigger or um, section of the Curia um, that's taken the place of the Pontifical Councils for Justice and Peace, Cor Unum, uh, the Pontifical Council for Pastoral Care of Migrants and Itinerant Peoples, and the Pastor or the Pontifical Council uh, for Pastoral Care, uh, Pastoral Healthcare Workers, all of which were suppressed and put under this one heading, uh, promoting integral human development. And um, this is a term, human development, which. <clears throat> Um, we'll probably hear a lot about uh, and really if you've been paying attention to church documents um, as far back as uh, Populorum Progressio by uh, Blessed Paul VI uh, he said that uh, the name for peace is development or development of the name for peace so we're going to see this probably coming up more this idea of development um, of people, human development, of uh, peoples, of persons, of nations. And so this, this, this group um, that's putting on this meeting, it, they are the ones that deal with the Holy See's concern for issues of justice and peace, especially in relationship to uh, migration, health care, charitable works, and the care of creation. Um, and so... This meeting uh, becomes kind of the opportunity, you might say, for the Pope to speak to us a, a, a beautiful message that applies to, uh, that we can um, use really to deepen our Lenten observances, I believe. And so, let's just get right into it. Um, you know, the, the Pope starts with a, a proclamation that our world is in, um, is in crisis and, um, and has been for some time. A lot of us don't really um, realize it, I think, in um, developing countries like the United States. But we live in a global system of indifference to the poor and suffering, he says. And as a missionary, you know, I've seen... Um, I've experienced much generosity among um, our benefactors, but I've also realized like it's so hard to understand um, the suffering in the world through the lens of a camera if you really haven't, um, you know, ever visited that poverty or seen it firsthand. Uh, the Pope has this quote. Well, I would yeah, I just say I can um, directly speak to that. Uh, in 2013, I went on the my first mission trip uh, with Family Missions Company to one of our posts in General Cepeda, Mexico, and um, f 
for the first that was the first time I'd been out of the United States to see that kind of place. This wasn't um, going to see the monuments or uh, great places and churches and art of Europe. This was um, going to work with the poor and it has a completely different feel as you say from looking through a lens um, when you're side by side with them um, praying with them building their dirt uh, bricks for their their homes it's uh, it was a powerful thing for me and um, something that was a huge pillar of my call to missions um, it and as yeah it's something you you really should we should all experience it's important for us to know what our brothers and sisters around the world are going through um, not just to read about it safely in our homes but actually experience it um, yeah I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly the direction we're going today so the pope says said at a homily i love this it's a beautiful quote um from a homily on the good samaritan july 8th 2013 um he says today no one in our world feels responsible we've lost a sense of responsibility for our brothers and sisters we have fallen into the hypocrisy of the priest and the levite whom jesus described in the parable of the good samaritan We see our brother half dead on the side of the road and perhaps we say to ourselves, poor soul, and then go on our way. It's not our responsibility and with that we feel reassured. The culture of comfort, which makes us think only of ourselves, makes us insensitive to the cries of other people, makes us live in soap bubbles, which however lovely are insubstantial. They offer a fleeting and empty illusion which results in indifference to others. Indeed, it even leads to the globalization of indifference. In this globalized world, we have fallen into globalized indifference. We've become used to the sufferings of others. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't concern me. It's none of my business. Uh, wow, that's just a yeah. uh, soap bubble. It, it it has some beautiful images, <laughs> yeah. The soap, that's the idea of the soap bubble. Um, it's clean, but it's also insubstantial. Um, but also this idea of a globalized indifference. You know, um, I I have encountered oftentimes as a school teacher. I remember we would hear, we would be presented with um, opportunities to help people, and it was actually pretty common that you would find that people would kind of during an assembly they would experience this great sense of compassion but then when they and then when they when the assembly was over they kind of went along their way in other words there was this idea of uh feeling compassion but then it stopping there it didn't translate into action i remember one man coming i think it was a missionary and him saying don't let this compassion make you feel good enough to where you don't get involved. In other words, I think what he was trying to say was that 
Sometimes we feel like our job is to just feel pity. And as long as we feel pity, we feel good about ourselves because we realize we're very compassionate people because we feel compassion. We feel pity. And then we go on our way. And that's exactly what the Pope is calling us out of. and so this is kind of the message that we'll be discussing today uh, in this talk on who is my neighbor. But before we do that, I just wanted to mention the Pope talks about in, um, that our, our world is in crisis. And he mentions that, you know, this beautiful image of uh, word image from the Chinese language. Um, he says that the word crisis is composed of two um, ideograms. Wei, uh, forgive my pronunciation, but I don't speak Chinese, but Wei, which represents danger, and Ji, which represents opportunity. So, in the Chinese language, uh, apparently, the, this idea of crisis involves two ideas, danger on the one hand, but also opportunity on the other. And so, we have this crisis that the Pope is talking about, um, this this crisis of global um, indifference and global suffering. And the danger he talks about, it's threefold. Number one is that our danger is that we'll disown our neighbors. So we certainly see that sometimes this globalization of suffering could make us feel like, uh, could make us feel afraid. Like there's so much danger, so much to be feared in the world and we just close ourselves off we disown our neighbors we distrust them and we all to to link that with the crisis i I was just looking at the the uh, preceding paragraph um and the pope says we should be neither paralyzed by fear nor shackled within the conflict yeah we have to acknowledge the danger but also the opportunity that every crisis brings in order to advance to a successful synthesis. And so it, this is a fascinating take on the word crisis. I've never thought of it that way, but as the Chinese um, example points out, this is it's not just a negative word, um, or we don't have to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. It's a, We're presented with an opportunity. Yeah, and it's... You know, so we have, like you had just said, this this danger of becoming paralyzed by fear um, and disowning our neighbors through, uh, well, through closing ourselves off to them. But there's also denying the gift of our neighbors. So we have paralyzation by fear. And we also can feel simply just overwhelmed by uh, global suffering. We look around and we say, what can I do? It's a drop in the bucket. You know, I've seen this, um, this video going around Facebook with this guy, uh, whose name I, I, uh, I don't remember, but he was using gumballs to just show how little, um, we as a country were doing, uh, in our immigration process and helping people. And we, we get kind of lost in these numbers to where we're thinking there's so many people, what can I do? Um, and you know, I think of, uh, just mother Teresa 
and um, you know we we honor her, and yet it what she did in a certain sense was a drop in the bucket, but that drop in the bucket is like the widow's two cents that she put in that she just gave with her heart and this is the the idea that we're being um, called into uh, when we with our neighbors well along with that so disowning our neighbors denying the gift and also there's a dehumanization that occurs as well this is another danger and that's when whenever we encounter anybody any person and we give them less than love, we dehumanize them. I think of this wonderful quote from uh, Carol Watizwa, or uh, forgive my Polish, uh, <laughs> lack of Polish pronunciation, but John Paul II, when he was a cardinal, uh, he wrote a beautiful book called Love and Responsibility. And in that, uh, he says a person is an entity of a sort to which the only proper and adequate way to relate is love so so oftentimes we encounter people that make us uncomfortable uh whether that's the beggar on the street it may be a person of another race or background it may be uh somebody who's an immigrant uh to our country a foreigner um, or just a diff- someone from a, a different background. And we are presented with, in a certain sense, a mini-crisis. This danger to react to them, disown them, or deny them, or simply dehumanize them by giving them less than love. So these are these three dangers that... I think uh, we could, sorry, we could add to that... Um, who you know these different these people um, people who have different political opinions than us people within our church who have different um, opinions about things that are going on in the mm-hmm. church um, it's when we're it's a trap um, in a sense because politics and religion are very important things for those of us who who care about them so oftentimes we feel like, well, there's no room for compassion in this discussion because I'm right and you're wrong yeah. and I need to tell you what the truth is. Um, and so, you know, these are situations where, you know, I hope one thing about this podcast would be um, that we are putting together a dialogue about these things in a way that is not um, part of the greater uh, um, noise about of these things and is um, at least a little more sober and and we're, our attempt is to be to be compassionate as as we're called to um, sorry to sidetrack no that's all right sense, but and so we can talk on the other hand of a crisis as an opportunity and, and you know we have this opportunity to encounter Jesus uh, and we do that uh, when we encounter any person it's an encounter for the Christian it's the encounter with Jesus and it's an opportunity to love um, God through our neighbor I think that's like a really 
uh, it's really important to, um, you know, Pope Benedict says, uh, only my readiness to encounter my neighbor and show him love makes me sensitive to God as well. Only if I serve my neighbor can my eyes be opened to what God does for me and how much he loves me. And that's from Deus Caritas, section 18. So for Pope Benedict, this readiness, this alacrity to love God through our neighbor actually uh, is, opens our eyes um, and allows us to be sensitive to God. Um, This acceptance, again, we talked about the gift of the other last week, this week, the gift of our neighbor. And so, um, leading or going from that, presenting us with this crisis, then what uh, Pope Francis does is he wants to present us with kind of a, a, a crisis story that our Lord tells from the Gospel of Luke. We've all heard it, the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, but I want to read it anyways because it's just such a powerful story. So, yeah. Matt, could you do that? Sure, I'll, I'll take it from there. Um, There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test him and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. But when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Crazy, Lord. You know, that's, that story is uh, a favorite of many. It's certainly uh, one of my favorites. I think there's just some really profound things that occur in the story. So in the actual story, um, the preface to it, a man who is a lawyer, it says, which is actually a pretty rare word, um, this idea of the lawyer. I believe it's only mentioned one other time um, in Matthew. Um, but here Luke talks about this man, a lawyer, who's seeking to justify his behavior. And so there's something he's 
in the background it doesn't really to give us any details but he wants to justify he wants to feel like he's doing enough like whatever he's doing he's got it together he is clean before the lord uh he wants he might even be seeking glory but he wants to classify his neighbor this is um those he must love he wants to know who are those he must love and what jesus does and it's just beautiful is he turns it around completely um at the beginning the question is who is my neighbor whereas in the story a man who we don't know anything about the man in the story but he's um he's traveling from jerusalem to jericho uh he's brutally attacked he's left for dead and three men come across the man but only one encounters him and what jesus teaches us in this story is not who is my neighbor as much as teaching us how to be a neighbor and that's the profound answer to the question of who is my neighbor is not really uh, an answer of my neighbor is this or that person but rather i make myself a neighbor through an encounter and so it's just interesting you know um in a certain sense this entire story is a judgment scene so the man is seeking to justify himself and you have this judgment scene you have this um this sense where we can look at the story and judge ourselves uh there's a beautiful quote from the catechism quoting um saint john of the cross and it says in section 1022 at the evening of life we shall be judged on our love Hmm. and so jesus's answer turning this around to this question of who is my neighbor is to tell us how to be a neighbor and uh what's really fascinating you know jesus he does this uh in another area that i thought was just kind of came to me but you know in tobit chapter four which is one of my favorite chapters in the bible tobit is speaking to tobias's son and giving him basically instructions for his life and at one point he says never do to anyone else anything that you would not want someone to do to you and jesus takes that message and puts it a step further in the sermon on the mountain the sermon on the plain in luke 6 31 he says as you wish that men would do to you do so to them we know this as the golden rule and so what jesus does is take this passive idea a beautiful idea i will do nothing to somebody else that they don't want you to do he flips it around and makes it active do to others what you want them to do to you so here the same thing happens we're not going to be told how to love my neighbor in the sense of i'm waiting for them and when they come i will then encounter them as they come to my house or you know that's a kind of a passive way of looking at things that the man is looking at what jesus wants to teach us is how to make ourselves neighbors and you know uh pope uh pope benedict says 
in the Angeles on July 15, 2007. But the person speaking to Jesus asked, Who is my neighbor? The Lord answers by reversing the question and showing through the account of the Good Samaritan that each of one of us must make himself close to every person he meets. He says, Go and do likewise. And I think, you know, the, the lesson of this story, um, and really something that we can take account of in Lent is that we're not called to just kind of sit and wait for people to come and ask us. I mean, we're not even called to wait for the uh, for that person who comes to to ask us for their help. We're called to make ourselves, to encounter, to step out um, and and to of our comfort zones to go and encounter the man. Um, this is actually the entire basis of modern Catholic spirituality is this idea of encountering Jesus in the poor. Uh, Paul, Paul the Sixth, Blessed Paul the Sixth, in his address uh, at the last general meeting of the Second Vatican Council, um, December of 65, he actually says, the old story of the Samaritan has been the model of the spirituality of the council. A feeling of boundless sympathy has permeated the whole of it. The attention of our council has been absorbed by the discovery of human needs. I mean, such a beautiful image of the Samaritan church discovering I think of Christopher Columbus or these great these great names we know of guys going out and discovering new places. This is the image of our church. We're going out and discovering human needs, not waiting for them to come to us, but discovering them to go out and meet that neighbor, to go out uh, onto the periphery or into the periphery as Pope Francis has called us, um, so many times, and to go out of our way to meet suffering heart and head on. Um, just, uh, again, such a beautiful story. But uh, going back to the story, you know, one of the things that really <clears throat> impressed me um, is... This idea that, you know, the, the people, Jesus, he tells this intentionally provocative story uh, of all the people to encounter this beaten, half-dead man. He chooses a priest and a Levite, uh, which just, it's very provocative. It, it should have provoked in his audience kind of um, offense. But the priest comes... And, you know, he seems to be a bit too busy with his, with the church or with, you know, this is just kind of putting it in modern terms, but um, the priest just passes him by. He's indifferent. Um, I think it's, you know, Pope Francis gives this kind of, uh, he says, it's, it's almost kind of humorous, but he says, um, Oh, 
I'll have to find it. But he basically says, you know, that the guy's worried about, you know, maybe he's going to be late for mass and, um, and he's not going to have, uh, you know, he's going to get his hands dirty and things like that. But there certainly was something, um, in the background where this man, you know, the priest is worried or something about touching this, uh, half dead person that he just, he's detached to it all. His heart is not one of, uh, compassion. And then the Levite, you know, Levites had, uh, a, a great fear of, of touching dead bodies could make them unclean. Um, and at the same time he passes, uh, passes him by and, then the the Samaritan comes, which was this foreigner uh, who had very little status, you know, um, in um, in Israel. I could think of, or in um, Judea. I could think of, you know, today Jesus telling this story, and um, you know, this illegal immigrant being the the hero, and how how offensive that would be to so many, <clears throat> because um, he was breaking the law. And uh, and yet that's exactly how the Jews would have seen the Samaritans, who mm-hmm. also were breaking the law. Um, and and yet, you know, Pope Francis says the Samaritan acts with true mercy. He binds up the man's wounds, transports him to an inn, personally takes care of him, and provides for his upkeep. All this teaches us that compassion, that love. Is not a vague sentiment. We talked about this, you know, it's not just feeling bad, but rather means taking care of the other to the point of personally paying for him. It means committing oneself to take all the necessary steps so as to draw near to the other to the point of identifying with him. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the Lord's command. It's just like. Yeah. Very, uh, I think, um, to uh, maybe flesh out the idea of who the Samaritan is and, and what the the Levites, you know, uh, did. I'm, um, reading through the old, going through the Old Testament. I'm in Numbers right now. Um, it's kind of a slog through Numbers, but, uh, and it Numbers almost makes Leviticus seem like good fun reading but it's you know it's like uh, what's fascinating about reading those things is that it helps you to put into context what you read in the New Testament and and, um, you you know you may think well wait a second isn't this an exaggeration to say that to compare the Samaritan to somebody who was breaking the law, like he's just helping this dude out on the street, and these other guys were jerks. Well, that's not the way apparently the people in the time of Jesus would have seen it. They would have recognized that the priests from the temple and the Levites were obeying the law of Moses, and that they couldn't go do the things they wanted to do they were on the road to do. They wouldn't be able to do their job as a priest um, or as a Levite because Moses said anyone who touches a dead body is unclean for a certain amount of time. And so you, and then you have to make 
certain sacrifices at the temple before you can be admitted. There's all kind of laws and things that I uh, can't completely um, give you uh, an answer to. And I guess it's what's interesting is that Jesus is talking to a scholar of the law, um, so someone who would have known all of these things very well. And the Samaritan is... Um, I guess it was... I don't know. I think the... The Samaritan would have been seen as outside of the law in that they are not... They have some relation to the Jews, but they're not really people of of the covenant. Yeah, it's a it, long it's a long story, but the basic gist of it is that the Samaritans followed the and accepted the first five books, the Torah, um, but they did not accept the rest of uh, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, and so they lived according to the Torah. Huh. Well, then they, that's, they, that makes it that then he would have even by his own understanding of the law. The Samaritan is breaking the law mm-hmm. by touching... I mean, I guess... Or making things very difficult for himself. In the very least, making things very difficult for himself. Um, because of all of the things he would have had to go through to make himself clean again after doing this. Um, and... He jumps into it not knowing and apparently disregarding those consequences because of his love for this other person um and i think you know it's we have to view this we have to view um this compassion as our number one law this law of love even even in the context of our political laws, like this, the first thing that we are called to is love. The first thing. And um, treating someone as we would want them to be treated. And that, you know, I, I think of Nazi Germany, um, where certain Germans hid Jews. Um, from the Nazis. That was, they were breaking the law at the time, but it was an unjust law, and the first responsibility that they could understand was, these are, these are our neighbors, we have to help them. And, um, what's, uh, you know, something that you and I have discussed, Jonathan, about the immigration debate, um, is that often we look at it from first the standpoint of the laws of the United States um, and not first from the standpoint of the universal law that Jesus gives us here. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a controversial controversial subject, but I don't think we should shy away from it. Um, we can we can say that whatever i guess you know i don't know whatever the law says we are we are to be the neighbors 
to brothers and sisters in need and um if there this may be going real far i don't know but you know if there were to come a time where um where we had to protect um i don't know protect an illegal immigrant from some kind of fate like that in nazi germany It would be a terrible day, obviously, but we would be called to respond like the Good Samaritan, um, not like the priest and the Levite. Um, and that's that's a very difficult position to be in, and I, <laughs> I hope that we're never put in it. But we, we should recognize that we very well could be. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, kind of the moral of this story and really what Pope Francis calls us to, he says, Globalized society frequently looks the other way with the pretense of ignorance and in, of innocence. Under the guise of what is politically correct or ideologically fashionable, one looks at those who suffer without touching them, but they are televised live. They are talked about in euphemisms and with apparent tolerance, but nothing is done systematically to heal the social wounds or to confront the structures that leave so many brothers and sisters by the wayside. This hypocritical attitude, so different from that of the Samaritan, manifests an absence of true commitment to humanity. He says, Jesus teaches us a different path. Do not classify others in order to see who is a neighbor and who is not. You can become neighbor to whomever you meet in need. Let me say that again. You can become neighbor to whomever you meet in need. And you will do so if you have compassion in your heart. That is to say, if you have the capacity to suffer with someone else, you must become a Samaritan. I think this is really uh, the message of Lent is not about it's not about fasting and somehow um, conquering my body. Uh, I'm, I'm actually one of the Lenten things I'm doing is going through all the papal messages for the annual Lenten messages. I try to read one a day and it's just amazing how. All four of the popes since the Second Vatican Council, when they talk about Lent, they're constantly talking about our sacrifice, our fasting, should lead to communion and fellowship, should lead us outwards, not inside, not inwards. It should call us to be more like the Samaritan. The Samaritan fasts in this story. He gives up his time he gives up his talent, to use that cliche we hear so often in the States, time, talent, and treasure. He binds up the man's wounds. I mean, that's a talent to be able to do that. And then he personally takes care of him and, and gives him of his treasure. He gives him, and oftentimes we think time, talent, treasure, how is that presented to us so often, especially in these stewardship movements uh, in the church, stewardship um, calls to, to be more involved. It involve, it, it means... Uh, maybe you become a lector in church, uh, or you give your time 
in children's ministry, uh, you volunteer in some way, um, or you give but your... But it, it doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't change your life. It doesn't... Well, and it doesn't it, get you out of the church. It's just like the priest in the story. The priest in the story, he's giving, apparently, his time. He's probably going to celebrate some service. It's a talent he has. And chances are, all that he has is bound up in that. So he's, uh, from at least from the, the little in the story, you could make an argument that the priest and the Levite in the story are definitely time, talent, and treasure people. It's just their time, talent, and treasure isn't being given to the outsider or to the other. It's just going, it's kind of recycling itself within their religious uh, movement. And so, uh, you know, I think the, the, mo- the, the meaning of this story, I love this quote by uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, he, he quotes St. John Chrysostom. And he, Pope John Paul II says, We cannot but feel called to account and judged by the ever-relevant words of St. John Chrysostom. Here you go. Do you wish to honor the body of Christ? Do not neglect it when you find it naked. Do not do it homage here in the church with silk fabrics, only to neglect it outside where it suffers cold and naked. Uh, We have a gift that God has given us in our neighbor. And yet the story teaches us that we have no neighbors. We only, the only neighbor is when we choose to be a neighbor god is telling us in this story that it's not as though we're to look for look outside and wait for our neighbors to come but but that we are called to become the neighbor and we only become a neighbor when we choose to accept the gift of the other and the gift that God has given to us in another person, his very presence. And we, we need to learn to approach this. This is my prayer, that we learn to approach others like a child approaching a, a Christmas or a birthday present. I'm definitely not there yet, but I, I pray for this. You know, at that moment when we joyfully can encounter someone, at that moment, they truly become our neighbors and at that moment, we become a neighbor to them. And so the divine perspective is not an, that we have neighbors as much as that we are neighbors, that we bring neighborliness to, to others, not so much that we await neighborliness in others. It's a very active um way of of living the faith that we're being called to that's lord help us to do it um i think jonathan you said you mentioned you had a a prayer yeah uh, i wanted to to, um close with or if there's another yeah um, no as we're uh as we come to a close here i i thought it'd be beautiful to end with this prayer um by john paul ii at the end of the gospel of life evangelii vitae uh, or vitae and um and then kind of uh give you guys a 
a real brief uh, taste uh, of what we'll be looking forward to next week. Let's go ahead and end with the prayer. Uh, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Mary, bright dawn of the new world, mother of the living, to you do we entrust the cause of life. Look down, O Mother, upon the vast numbers of babies not allowed to be born, of the poor whose lives are made difficult, of men and women who are victims of brutal violence, of the elderly and the sick killed by indifference or out of misguided mercy. Grant all who, that all who believe in your Son, Jesus, may proclaim the gospel of life with honesty and love to the people of our time, obtain for them the grace to accept that gospel as a gift ever new, the joy of celebrating it with gratitude throughout their lives, and the courage to bear witness to it resolutely in order to build together with all people of goodwill the civilization of truth and love to the praise and glory of God, the creator and lover of life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, please keep listening and bearing with us as we uh, still you know, continue to learn how to do this. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, the gift of... As, as surprising as this seems, the gift of our enemies. Uh, when we look at, in God's heart, there are no enemies. And until next time, uh, God bless you, and uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate you listening to today's podcast. Please tune in again next week, and we look forward to seeing you. May God bless you.